Hey there, welcome back to the For The Creatives podcast. My name is Elisha Tatarera, and today we have a conversation with Simon and Leone, the founders of People Tech Revolution. Now, People Tech Revolution are using virtual reality to transform empathy and inclusion in the workplace. They're working on some exciting things. I'm looking forward to this chat. This conversation was recorded at the Tropical Innovation Festival in Cairns, June 2023. And we're going to have a chat about how VR is revolutionizing the way we connect with each other and the importance of having both introverts and extroverts driving innovation. Let's get started. So you can't think of any introverted people either. In business? Yeah. Is that because, though, the introverted people are usually more like behind the scenes getting things done and the ones usually at the front to the loudest voice or...? So I always joke about that. I always say I'm the best two I seek you'll ever come across. But even though Simon and I share the title, joint CEO, mm. and Simon does the sales and the pitches and, yeah, that's shtick, don't you? Yeah. I have been known to be called an extrovert, but I have woeful lack of attention to detail. If someone sends me an email with more than three sentences, I just won't read it. I'm yeah. just talking... We're just talking before about with a business or a startup, you can't just have someone who's all completely extroverted or completely introverted. You need that balance and that team dynamic. I think the the label introvert and extrovert is quite an interesting one anyway, because I think there's all sorts of variations. It sounds like a linear function of like ultra extrovert. Yeah, the one or the other. And I think there's all sorts of bubbles and loops. And I know some people extrovert in the right scenario, an introvert. Mm. I know I've put someone on stage, they could be a super extrovert. Put them in a room full of a thousand people. And it's like, yeah. They could be the opposite. We went to this really great workshop around neurodivergence. And there's an awesome professor out of QUT and her partner who used to be, or who I think he still is, is, he's a tech evangelist at Google. And he's pretty autistic. And the way that they talked about autism was not that it was this linear spectrum, which is, I think, what a lot of people have in their head but much more of this circle where we are high on some factors mm. and lower on others. And I think we've put together our team intuitively. Yeah. But when I think about it and when I think about that trust piece that Baden was talking about, that's been really important. We, but we have pulled together a team where we are extraordinarily complementary in our strengths with each other. We're lucky. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. I call myself an ambivert. It's like the middle ground sort of because I don't get energized by people. Well, there's a few key people who I'm like, I can be around and we recharge each other. You need to go out for a beer sometime. Yeah, I need to go for a walk, go to the beach, just be by myself. Just, But then I'm not an introvert where I need that all the time. Like I love people and I love being around people still. Um, I think one thing you'll find, and I can't remember, Luke, was it Luke? Safety. From safety culture. Culture. Mm. I'm really bad with names. This is interesting this morning and obviously... I'm not like this, and sometimes I question myself as a founder or co-founder, is some people get really into business, and that's all they do 24-7. I can get caught up in that a bit, but I'm still pretty good at not doing that. I think maybe that comes with being a bit older, being co-founders that are a bit older. Sounds healthy. And you have, yeah, it is, and you have this life balance. So I do think you could be a really big extrovert, and he, I am more than happy to go out seven days a week <laughs> drinking till two in the morning, mentally. My body can't hang that anymore, and I've had to like ease back. Otherwise, I just kind of like collapse in the heat. But nature and ocean is really important to me. So yeah. having a break from work, and but not a break from work as in doing something else on a computer screen, it is that going and seeing nature, going kayaking, going free diving, going to the gym, doing stupid strongman competitions. I think, and so I think that's even extroverts in inverted commas and introverts have to have breaks from they're doing as a startup founder. Yeah. And I think you have to actively pursue that. Well, I just think about the team again and I think, well, we'll work remotely. So that's a challenge sometimes, not coming together face to face every week. Some of our team members do. 
and and that's great. But we, as a whole, we don't. And then we try and kind of build in how do we so- do social stuff, not just work stuff. Yeah. Because we know that everybody has a different way of communicating and thinking, we have a bunch of different ways of doing that with the team too. So we've got Discord, but we do email and some, some of the team prefer just to like do a video call or have chat or... Yeah, so it, I think we try and mix that up and be good role models. Yeah. Well. I think also be inclusive. So I think there's interesting discussions already. What does that look like? You were talking about what Bain said. Is the it, trust piece. The trust piece. Mm. I mean, we've, we've kind of done it accidentally just as we who we are. And it's just the whole creating a safe culture to thrive in and not being afraid of speaking up, saying an idea. I mean, we've had some profound moments to start up. We've had a member who's trans- transitioning and they told us before they told their parents. Oh, wow. But celebrated oh. it in front of the whole team. And we're like, I'm telling you guys first, it's amazing. My name's now this. And we're like, that's amazing. Wow. It's like, you're the first people I've ever told. And so to create a culture where, where they feel the whole, safe the enough. The whole team to... was on the call to feel safe enough to say that in front of everybody is quite a special moment. But I think we try and foster that yeah, safety. Yeah. And also, there's something that some of the, when we do try and do social things, it's normally about getting to know each other a bit more using some. Those interesting online tools. <laughs> yeah, we were on an accelerator program earlier this year, and they used a tool called Gather Round, and we like we so we we used it a few times. It's really great, actually. We kind of it's like fun social things to do with a team who's remote. It works really well, really yeah. well. And so we've done that a bit. And I think the inclusion piece for us is about always remembering, you know, because the VR that we make is about inclusion. Yeah. So, and without that lived experience, how do you make a good tech product you can't i don't think you can so we try really really hard it's always in the front of our mind when we're employing people the makeup of our team who's on the team yeah where they come from how do we how do, and how do we do better because you know we, we don't have it right but we're trying really hard to do better all the time and it yeah. can make things difficult sometimes because obviously when you advertise for a job or when you try to find people especially in the tech world and i'm sure lots of tech companies find it you know there's a it's been going around, maybe not so much now since the crypto crash and there's lots of people looking for jobs, but if just before that, there wasn't, people were looking for game designers and programmers. Yeah, yeah. And if you put a job out there, especially as a tech company, for every 100 people who identify as male, we get two women. Yeah. And if, if you're trying to create an equitable team and that in itself can become a challenge. So it might take longer to recruit someone. Yeah, it depends would. on what you think of as yeah. equitable too. Because mm. like, so it's equitable 50-50. I don't want to say, but it, it's somewhere close to that, I would have thought. I think, I think when it comes to gender, we've probably got 50-50 oh. in terms of male-female. We've also got, we've probably got like, actually it wouldn't be 50-50 because we've got like some, we've got non-binary yeah. too. So it's not 50-50, right? Because <laughs> like, so. I haven't like, I don't have any thoughts around this. I've just got a, just a question. It's like, if everything has to be 50-50, how do we, yeah. how do we do that? I understand bringing more voices and more and inclusion and bringing that to the table, but like, what's the and it, well, and there's so many there's so many variables. Mm. I, I just saw Taika Waititi talking about diversity today on, on Instagram, and he was saying, "Yeah, like diversity is not that we have like one person of every color yeah. in a movie. Diversity is actually I have a Polynesian writer." writers who are writing Polynesian stories for a Polynesian crew and a Polynesian group of actors, Polynesian, you know, everything. So we're telling these stories. So I think representation is something that's quite different to 
our ideas around diversity and inclusion. Yeah. Yeah. We just, we strive for it. And I think what's happened for us, because we have a bit, now we have a reputation yeah. of being a safe employer, that we get people coming to us now saying like, oh, I, I really like the work that you do. And I've heard about what you're working on and we want to be a part of that. So we probably do have way more women than a lot of tech co- companies. Yeah. It's kind of terrifying and- sometimes because people are like, <laughs> I never want to leave your company. And you're like, you should kind of like try to do that. <laughs> as long as it's not becoming a cult. We're really lucky. So we have like women, we have young people, we have older people, we have people of colour where, you know, we're trying to reach out and where we don't have them on our team, then what we try and do is we make partnerships. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to look at being creative when I think when it comes to diversity and inclusion. Yeah. I think you guys are doing an amazing job and no one's got it perfect or got it exactly right. I think personally, I've been involved in companies where they're the companies that are trying to tick a box. They all like have one of every person on there. This one company I worked for a while ago, they, as soon as I was employed, they put me on and were, I wouldn't have thought anything of it until I heard some conversations behind the scenes, but they put me, they got f- photos done. They put me like on every sort of, and I'm like, I'm Australian, but dark skin color, but they put me on like every advert and like, yeah, of course, you know, yeah. a lot of their materials and everything. Yeah. And Look at us, we're amazing. <laughs> so like, like, we literally just uh, made a piece of VR that's about diversity quotas. Yeah. And actually some people in our team have even experienced that where they've been employed because of a diversity quota. Yeah. And it's, that's, a, that's a, not a nice feeling. You know, to kind of think that the reason that you've been employed is not because of the, the skill, skill or, yeah. or like what you bring is mm. it's just about your skin, the way you look and your skin color. It's not fun. So, yeah, some people get it really wrong. Yeah. <laughs> We're a few minutes in. For those who don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. How long, how long are you going for? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I was just going with it because this has been such a natural conversation. The others have been really good, but sometimes it starts off too formal. So it's like, oh, we'll just start off really informal and yeah. see where it goes. Yeah, but <laughs> for those listening, what do you do? <laughs> so we've got Simone. Leone. <laughs> Sorry, we've got Simon. Simon. <laughs> I'm a professional NRL player like you've never known. <laughs> no, I'm not rich. Um, so if we make... Virtual reality scenarios around shifting culture and behavior in companies and in organizations so you can actually experience what it's like to be someone else. So you wear virtual reality, you can step into someone else's shoes and live someone's life, become someone else, experience things you haven't experienced before. I will say this as a white man, you know, especially as a white guy, you can experience what it's like to be a woman or someone with a disability or a person of color or a member of the LGBTQ community. And some of the things you experience and some of the prejudices you experience at work it could be major or just little microaggressions of like little narky things that were said. And it's like using that emotion and feelings. One of the best things about virtual reality is you can suspend belief um, and become something else or be something else. If no one's ever tried it, I would recommend trying Richie's Plank. It's another Brisbane-based company. Your brain tells you you're in a room. Your body tells you you're on top of a skyscraper. Your heart rate will increase. You will sweat. Your hands will shake. Apparently, unless you're a psychopath, then you just run off a jump. Which idea, which is questionable, is it? And we use that to basically try and create better places to work. I think Leonie, we've actually been working on our mission statement recently to try and figure out what it actually is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we did it with the team. So we've been talking about that idea of, you know, the VR that we make is about deepening your understanding of yourself, mm. but also for other people. So it's that having that, yeah, that two-way street, I guess, around and and hoping that, that you can take that into 
Most of the work that we do is based around workplace culture. So yeah. that into the workplace. So you've got a more productive workplace, build better teams, have people be nicer to each other. Yeah. And also going back to the first thing you said, have those introverts or have the quieter people in the room have their voice heard? Yeah. Right? Know they have their voice heard. Or if someone is has neuro, you know, is neurodiverse or has autism, notice that and give them a safe space to say things. Or how do you create that safe space to say things? And we're also looking at other things like you know, how do you de-escalate the situation? So if you have a if you have a tense situation and someone says something to you, yeah, um, how do you de-escalate that situation? As a manager, as a leader, what do you do in that situation? So we're actually working on the moment a series of VR scenarios called Lift VR, yeah, which is basically imagine you know you're a senior manager or you're an executive in a lift and someone comes in and says something to you, how do you respond instantly? Or someone you overhear a conversation with some undertones of racism or bias towards someone, you know you should say something. Be not, you might not be equipped to know yeah. what to say. So what we do is you can actually you will equip you what to say and you can practice it. So you record that, you can play it back until you have it down pat. Yeah, so you can have that opportunity to really practice those difficult conversations or those moments. Um, I remember when I was in one of your, I think, sessions in Bundaberg and hearing that about the conflict management as well, I was like, that is such a good idea. I myself think I'm not amazing, but I'm okay with conflicts. Like I don't back away from it, but I've been in like workplaces where so many people avoid it because they just don't know how to deal with situations from managers to whoever. So I think it's amazing being able to use VR to experience those situations. So with People Tech Revolution, what is one of the current challenges that you're facing at the moment in the business? I'd say the major one is at the moment, our model's basically agency. So we work with companies who can afford to pay us fifty, sixty thousand dollars an app. And normally a project, you're looking at two or three apps. So it's expensive, right? Yeah. And so we work with big we have worked with big Fortune five hundred companies, with big hospitals and healthcare organizations. A really good one we've worked with in Australia's Marta Hospital. But we know every time we work with a client, we want to go, what's the problem you're trying to solve? Can is the best solution for this problem virtual reality? If it's not, we'll be honest and say it's not because, you know, make a YouTube video or do something else. But if it is virtual reality, we then go through a whole process. We're really proud of our design process, yeah, which goes through a whole discovery phase around what's the actual problem, what does a successful outcome look like, and who are the people who have lived experience that we can talk to or interview yeah. to make sure that what we make is real. So it's kind of like core to everything we've done in our working lives uh, is work with people who have lived experience and the stories of people to make sure what we do is genuine. Yeah. And so, and so we have all this experience. We've talked to thousands of people probably over the past few years of doing this VR. Every company has roughly the same problems. It's nuanced. So we make a nuanced app. It'll be their branding and their language around the finance industry or the IT industry or the pharmaceutical industry. We have companies reach out to us. They might be smaller. They might be like 50 people, 100,000, even 2,000 people, right? And they'll be like, I can't afford a quarter of a million dollar project on virtual reality. Yeah. yeah. Where can I get this training? And so there's a massive need for it. And there's a desire for it. And so we're now creating a library that's going to be coming out later this year so anyone can access. So probably our, our biggest problem at the moment is how we transition and fund building apps for cu current clients and sustaining revenue coming in and also having the team build apps for us, as in like the IP that we want to create so we can put out there so it's more accessible to everybody and more and more companies can use this kind of training. So leone has been working on all these scripts and all sorts of things. Yeah, that's awesome. How we can get that done. Yeah. Yeah, because we bootstrap to date. So everything that we've done has been because we've been able to sell to clients and to yeah, be able yeah. to make these custom builds. But yeah, we want to move. We don't want to move away from custom builds altogether. We just want to yeah. also like have this make other things more accessible. Yeah. 
So where did People Tech Revolution start? Where did it start from? Like, what was the seed? Oh, I'm going to give Monica Brantley a shout out if she ever listens to this podcast. Yeah. So I think I called her Monica 2.0 once because she seems to be like everywhere. It's quite incredible. Um, she never sleeps. I know, she doesn't sleep. <laughs> so our first company was called The Aging Revolution. We still have a company called The Aging Revolution. Yeah. And it started back in 2015 when I was working for, I was running Seniors Car for the New South Wales government. Leonie was running the office for seniors in Queensland. And we were looking at the system around growing older and aging. Something has to change. It's, just, it's all negative. It's all bad. It's all just like... Old people are a burden. It's just, <laughs> yeah. Rather than you know, First Nations people in this country, it's just like the wisdom and the knowledge and like the respect. Yeah. So like, how can we get back, back? And all we do is like stick old people in a home and then just like just be quiet and die. Literally. And if you can die yeah. quickly, that's great for our business model, which is a whole different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and so we went on a road trip. Came back, realised there's like 2.7 million carers in Australia, and we're like, when they were using like Excel spreadsheets and Post-it notes to actually go like, who is this person? And so we're like, oh, what do we do? And we said, we make it. There should be an app about this. And so we ended up making an app. That's how we got into making tech. So we worked with QUT and a whole bunch of carers and co-designed an app to help care be more person-centred about who are you. You know, are you Simon who has motor neuron disease? And you take these drugs, or are you Simon who used to like free diving and exercise and this kind of art and this kind of music and don't play games yeah. and Coldplay, otherwise he'll just want to die straight away. That's how we got into tech. And Monica just goes like, just make it then. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so we did. Fast forward heaps of a few mobile apps and a few co-founder epic failures that we all seem to have. We got into people tech because we made an app around endometriosis that wasn't age-based, and so we needed a new company name. And at the same time, we were looking at how we can create empathy in aged care about the big problems you have in aged care. Yeah. It was like virtual reality could do that. And that's how we got into, that's how people tech started. It's how we got into virtual reality. And then we... And we were really lucky to be on with that app that Simon was talking about that did fail. Well, the co-founder relationship failed spectacularly, but we're still like, but we've still been working on like that idea. But we were lucky enough to be on the Remarkable program, which was really gave us brought us together with a whole bunch of people who were like-minded yeah. about doing something doing something in tech that's good for people. Yeah. That's around, you know, people with a disability or people who are older or, yeah, solving some of those problems. So we were really lucky with that too. I think, and then, so the whole, it's not our idea around virtuality for empathy, but then we were working with a couple of friends and they've been friends for ages and they were going through the road co-founder stuff and they were like, help. We've got a client and we haven't got anyone to build this thing or we don't know how to make it or design it. And so I remember we were on a beach in Perth and we are like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. And then we were like, <laughs> we can project manage that, no problem. And then it's like, can we? Yeah, here you go. And then we did. And so we actually, <laughs> had, a, so, yeah, so we actually had a guy working for us at the time called Paul Frame, who was an intern from SAE in Brisbane. And he was doing a games degree. He knew virtual reality. And we are like, hey, if we co-design this and come up with all this stuff, could you make it? He was like, yeah, I think I could. And so we did. And we kind of muddled our way through to make a VR app for like one of the biggest beverage companies in the world. Oh, wow. And that's how we started. That's, yeah, I love that. That's crazy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and then we're like, oh, I can't get this. Okay, let's do this. We, so we, you didn't map out a 20-page business plan first and, like, you know, go through all those stages? No, not at all. No, we, I don't even think we really thought that, uh, that that would be something that we would just keep doing. I think we thought we were helping out. And then over time, it's just, it's evolved. It just evolved, I yeah. think, where the, uh, the people that we were doing it with were much more focused on innovation 
And so, and we're just, we're good at managing projects. We're good at it. Like we, we can get them done on time and we know how to pull a team together. And so that's been our strength. And we put those two things together, that yeah. cutting edge innovation stuff to drive everything that we do to keep it kind of, keep it fresh. Don't just sit back and kind of think that this is going to be the one thing that you do. VR is not an industry where you can sit still yeah. for very long. It, it changes and shifts really quickly. So we need that. But we also, in order to be able to be a successful company, you have to be able to like to make a product and know what you're doing. I have a question there. Talking about VR, maybe more AR. It's not my space exactly. But Apple, they just recently released their Vision Pro. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't actually had a full look at it, but I've heard so much about it. Does that does that benefit what you're doing? Is there any way you would yeah. use that? Or we have a conversation about this like literally half an hour ago. Yes, it does benefit us massively because I think someone actually said to us, "When Apple makes something, it's real." Mm. And that's kind of like a. I was like, "What do you mean by that?" She was like, "You know, the iPhone. Everyone's got a smartphone. The iWatch. Everyone's got a smartwatch now. So yeah. Apple have now made a VR headset." You know, it st- still costs about five and a half thousand Australian dollars. <clears throat> so, you know, access will be limited, but you'll have all of Apple people. Yeah, going. but you know VR's not going away. Yeah, you know, exactly. I think if, if to see a company like that invest in it, then yeah. you're like, no, you know, this is tech that's going to be around for a little while. So I think what Apple have done is really interesting. Yeah. There is a big difference between consumer VR yeah. and enterprise VR. Yeah. So more and more companies are getting into VR. And actually data and data protection and how people, get, you know, because... That's a um, massive The thing. amount of companies oh. we speak to, especially big financial institutions, I was talking to some of the big financial institutions about training, and they're like, we will have nothing from Oculus in our building, let alone on, in a training environment. So, so, like, so there, and there are lots of concerns, right? I, I mean, you know, we've been, we've been part of uh, the XRSI, which, is, which was until recently stood for Extended Reality Safety Initiative, but is now rebranded to Extended Reality Safety Intelligence. Okay. Um, but it's all, for, and we've been standing up an Australian entity around that, which is all around safety, safety in the metaverse, safety for people who are using extended reality. And I think that's, it's a legitimate concern yeah. to think about those things. Actually, it's my first experience like, yeah. of bias. Yeah, that's right. VR. It was your very first experience of like of properly, sexual harassment. Yeah, so my, yeah, so I was in Rec Room. So yeah. people aren't familiar. Rec Room's basically a metaverse of a style on Quest 2 headsets. Focus. You can go in there, you can become an avatar, you can run around, play games, meet mates, play paintball, or play. It's paintball, isn't it? We played. Yeah. Leone turns into a psycho. I do. Uh, yeah, you do. You double shotgun people <laughs> to the face and celebrate, and it's very scary. It doesn't hurt. Too bad. <laughs> And so I came out of my room. I was going to say came out of my closet and that sounded weird. But I came out and these two blokes came up to me or were like, all right, how are you doing? Oh, do you want to come into, what are you doing? Hey, do you want to come into our room? Oh, you look really good. Oh, nice tits. I was like, nice tits. It's really freaking me out. And then they kept on being really, they were really being really rude and coarse. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get back into my base. I looked in the mirror and my avatar, they'd automatically chosen. I hadn't done anything. was a yeah. woman. Wow. And I was like. Oh, that's what it feels like. And those were real, were they real people? They were wow. real people. Well, the, like in avatars. In avatars. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And basically they were awful to me. And my avatar was, I was an African-American woman, very voluptuous. Mm. For some reason, that's just what was picked. And you're supposed to come and go through the whole thing and make Customize, it. Customize, yeah. Yeah, so, and lots of people obviously make it in their own image. Other people make it in the complete opposite. Anyway, that was the first time I kind of like properly felt. And this is, yeah. this is, goes back to that whole, which is why we do it in VR. This is why, a lot of the VR we do, you embody someone else. So you actually you'll look in a mirror and you'll become someone else. Yeah. 
there's a really interesting Stanford study that says it takes about 30 seconds to suspend belief about who you are. Mm. It's kind of freaky. But it was the first thing I was like, why is it, why are they being so nasty? What are they saying this for? Is this crazy? Yeah. And I felt, and I ran away and I was like, oh man, this is what people feel. This is what many women feel yeah, daily. every day. So it was quite shocking. So that's another thing. That's why VR safety is so important, like, important because it's, yeah. if people don't know how to use it or if you have young kids in it, it can be a really scary place. Well, I was just listening to the story of the guys that created Club Penguin, which isn't VR, but it was like, you know, one of the first biggest sort of like kids, you yeah. know, what do you call it? Like a PVP? No, no, no. There is a book. Uh, I don't yeah, know. But it's a, <laughs> what, what, what is Club Penguin? I don't even know what it is. <laughs> you do not know Club Penguin. No, it's okay. I don't you expect should. you to know. <laughs> it's Penguin. Um, it's, it's a virtual world. It's a yeah, virtual world. It's yeah. cartoon, cartoon virtual world. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I think that qualifies as a metaverse. Yeah. Yeah. It was like probably one of the first. It was massive. And the two people that had the idea, they went out looking for external funding. Can't remember the whole story, but they ended up, the company they're working for that they were going to leave to start it actually funded it. But a big thing was the safety and the privacy. And they ended up selling it, like when it had been doing really well, but they wanted to sell it to a company that could make sure to put in the safety measures in place that it needed. So they sold it to D- Disney. You know, I think those things are really important to be thinking yeah. about. Like, we, we need all that. Luckily, we have a great e-safety commissioner in Australia. It's awesome. <laughs> well, we have gone a bit over time, but I've got one key question I want to ask you both. What would you say your superpowers are individually? Like, what's the thing you're really good at, you thrive in, your s- real key strength? Oh, I can tell you what Simon's superpower is. Yeah, yeah, do you want to say it for each other? Say it for each (laughs) other. You tell me one. I think Simon's superpower is that he connects really quickly with people in a way that's not, it's super genuine. So Simon will like, you know, you can be best friends with Simon really, really fast. And I really think that's a great superpower to have. Yeah. I think you've got a complimentary one then, which is like, uh, you connect people much more deeply than me over a longer period of time. That's so between us, we, we, get, we get the intro and the really good deep understanding of the yeah. team. I also think my superpower is spreadsheet numbers, quick thinking, problem solving. Yeah. And Leona's superpower is translating all that into <laughs> how can we actually create something that's functional and works. Yeah. And the team understands. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's probably... Yeah, that's awesome. Super- <laughs> well... Thank you for sharing a bit of what you're doing and also a small bit of the journey. <laughs> Doesn't count. Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> Come on. That's how you connect quickly with people. <laughs> hey, Thank you. It does help sometimes. Got <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> So, to finish off, we're at the Tropical Innovation Festival. Um, and I just wanted to ask a couple of things. If you were to finish the sentence, Tropical Innovation Festival is, what would you say? I think the best innovation festival I've been to in Australia, if not the world, probably. It's very informal and I like it's very well run. Yeah. But seemingly a bit loose. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would totally agree. I would say, yeah, Tropical Innovation Festival is the best innovation festival to come to in Australia. And that's not ju- that's not just because, you know, it's in Cairns. It's that helps. But yeah, I love the the conversations that happen and I like the way People get up and talk and it doesn't feel like it's forced. It feels yeah. like people are just coming from uh, their own experience and they feel comfortable enough to be able to like just talk easily. Yeah. That's great. I love that too. Um, and, uh, so one other thing, it's also one of the things we always do with our work is trying to create a safe space for our team and other people. I think they do a very good job of creating a safe space for everyone here to yeah. be, and to be included and felt heard and I think that's really good. 
I was in a one-hour mastermind room with the founder here and they opened up and shared about their journey, but just the way that they felt okay and comfortable to open up to this other group of founders and entrepreneurs about some really vulnerable and deep stuff is just like, you don't get that everywhere. You're not going to just you go to any event and have people sharing some of those raw moments. So, yeah. Yeah, no. So, you know, kudos to Tara and Kate and yeah. their team because I think they do, they make it look easy and you know it's not. Yeah, I agree. 